We went to Pacific Seafood's holiday party. That's right. Slash kind of a... <laughs> it's just a... Kind of a wake. A wake? Because... <laughs> <laughs> Because of the really long retirement speeches. Oh, yes. Where they, oh, my fucking It God. sounded like people were dying. Yeah. They were just, like, telling their whole life story. And it was like, is this an obituary? It was or, a f- like, a commendation? <laughs> Imagine that Broad Scott Moxie for somebody retiring, except very serious, mostly, and a slideshow. But you know what they did have? Alcohol. That's right. <laughs> And so we were, that broad's got moxie on the streets. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was the three of us. Mm-hmm. Our mox, our fellow moxie ladies, Christina. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, we met up with Emily mm-hmm. and Roxanne. And <laughs> we, we had cocktails. We had so much seafood. <laughs> Ken yeah. and I literally looked at each other and we're like, I'm just so full. <laughs> Do you want to go get more? <laughs> and then we did it. <laughs> and yes. then at the end of the night, party was dying down just a little bit. We were headed over. Mm-hmm. Were we going to the parking garage at that point? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we were going back to the car. And then we got into a bickering match uh-huh. about shoes. Shoes, yeah. Because I was in comfortable and stylish boots. Mm-hmm. No heel. And I had on my little, uh, my little kitten, my red pointy-toed kitten heels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then, I was like, "Oh, my feet are kind of sore." And Kenna's like, oh, "Yeah, well, can't do this," <laughs> and started doing I don't even know what—an <laughs> Irish jig of some sort. <laughs> yeah, I was started dancing. I was trying to show you. Yeah, I was in it for the long haul. You were in it for fashion. <laughs> That's a true story, but I held my fucking own in that in that dance off. You know I did. Every fifty feet, <laughs> and then every once in a while, Danny would be like, "Stop it! You're gonna hurt yourself, exactly. Cassie." She, Not Kiana, because she trusted right. that I would be okay. <laughs> I was in my boots. <laughs> yeah, Danny was constant. Every time I. Was- Fucking real got into it and was kicking my heels up. She was like, will you stop? You're going to hurt yourself. And I can't get you to the car in this state. And I was like, I'm winning. You see how good I'm doing? She wasn't winning. I was. I was. I won. Dance battle right now. Let's go. (laughs) Can't stand up, though. It's strictly arms. Yeah. I can't lift my arms up too high because I'm in a crop top. Your boobs will just pop out the I bottom. Almost, I started shooting my arms up and was like, uh-oh. <laughs> pew, pew. <laughs> Surprise attack. Nipples. Areola. <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> anyway, it was a good weekend. It yeah. was a fun time. And then when you came over to get your car the following day, mm-hmm. and you... <laughs> Seth came over, and I was on the couch, just in underpants, but I had my blanket over me. And Danny was like, they're going to be here in a minute. Are you going to put clothes on? I was like, no, I'm going to stay right here with this blanket on me. I opened the door and blinded you with the daylight. You clearly hadn't been outside. No, no. And that sun just came right in through that crack in the door. Oh, what a good weekend. What a good time. That broad's got moxie needs to do more. 
more outings more outings for sure yeah that is on the agenda we've done two in a row yeah yeah we have anyway this is that broad's got moxie it sure is i'm cassie i'm kiana and danny's here mm-hmm. she's threw up some deuces She's hanging, hanging out. We're in matching sweatpants. We almost uh-huh. put on an entirely matching outfit because I thought it would be funny. <laughs> that would be good. You look like Millie Vanilli. <laughs> Were they yes. twins? No. Oh, okay. But they did dress the same all the time. Okay. I don't, maybe they are twins. They'll quote me yeah. on that. I don't know. I don't think they are. Now I have a look in my mind. In my recess of my brain. Big shoulder pads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, yep. That's a dance-off. <laughs> that is a dance-off. Yeah, our dance-off. Danny was like, God damn it, I can't believe I didn't get that. It would have been perfect. <laughs> we could have said it to like Cotton Eye Joe or some shit like that. It would have been hilarious. <laughs> uh, okay, so it's episode... Five, three. 53. All right. 53. 53. It's February. <laughs> I like to say that word. February. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> and it is Black History Month. It sure gosh darn is. It sure gosh darn is. So we're going to kick off Black History Month with some of our favorite melanin queens. Interesting that you didn't run this by me earlier, because what if I wasn't? Oh, no. (laughs) I am. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But how funny would it be if I was just like, by the way, now I'm going to talk about Mother Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) Betty White. (laughs) Um, So, oh, you're going first. God damn it. Every time. Actually, every other time. Shut up. (laughs) All right. Anyways, who are you doing this week? This week, I'm going to talk about Olive Morris. Oh, I don't know who that is. Well, you are about to hear. All right. So, my sources are Overlooked No More, Olive Morris, Activist for Black Women's Right in Britain by Amy Tsang, uh, the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography and the National Portrait Gallery, and Libcom.org. Okay. So, we're in England. Perfect. Olive Elaine Morris was born June 1952 in Harewood, St. Catharines, Jamaica, to parents Vincent Nathaniel Morris and Doris Morris. Doris Morris! Oh, I like that. <laughs> she married into that name. That's a good that's, that's a good way to marry into somebody's name, Doris Morris. Olive had one brother named Basil, which I like. Basil? <laughs> the best herb name. It's Fuck true. you, Sage. <laughs> When Olive was young, her parents left Jamaica and moved to England and left Olive and her brother in the care of her grandmother. Mm. When she was nine years old, her and her brother then packed up and then moved to London with her parents in 1961 and settled in South London, where her parents had four more children. Oh, okay. So a big family. Mm -hmm. Olive attended school and left her secondary school without qualifications before going on to study at the London College of Printing. Okay. 
The time that Olive moved to London and grew up was a particularly contentious time for Britain's African, African Caribbean, and Asian communities. Post-war Britain was extremely racist, Mm. and fascist groups such as the National Front were attacking minorities in the streets. Sus laws were in full effect, and sus laws are essentially stop-and-frisk laws. Oh, okay. That the police would use to target black people and ethnic minorities. Mm Mm-hmm. Black children were classed as educationally subnormal. Rude. And there was major discrimination towards black people when it came to housing and employment. Not a good time to live. I would like to make a thought here. Mm -hmm. Because we live in the United States, Mm -hmm. it never fails to, I don't know, like surprise me Mm -hmm. that like racism Mm -mm. doesn't just happen here (laughs) right so talking about you know talking about this happening in london Mm -hmm. i'm like but london is so they're fucking progressive they're lovely people as far Mm -hmm. as i'm concerned (laughs) but i'm like oh you mean they were assholes too yeah racism is an international it is it is and it i just i don't know you forget I do. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of focus on being American. There's a lot of focus on our education uh-huh. and the civil rights movement. Absolutely. And we don't really hear about it anywhere abroad. else. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, I mean, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. And this was in, this was around the same time, 60s, 70s, uh-huh. as the U.S. civil rights movement. And it's a story, back to my notes, mm-hmm. it's a story we've unfortunately learned about and experienced as a society, as a society. Time and time again, all over the world. It's something that many black people and minorities are currently experiencing. Mm -hmm. And to think that racism ended in the 60s is not accurate because many people are still experiencing it today. Yep. It's, oh, I meant to start. There is going to be some mention of police brutality. So take care of yourself. Yeah. And if it's too much, skip forward. Skip forward. I'll give a. Yeah. You'll know when I say it. <laughs> I have it. I have it prepped in my notes to say, "Ready for this police okay. brutality." <laughs> so, Olive, growing up and experiencing racism and seeing her community be treated as second-class people, inspired her to become a community organizer in the fight against racism and other forms of oppression. When she was just seventeen, Olive was involved in a horrific case of police brutality. Mm. And this catapulted her to the front lines of the civil rights movement in Britain. So now this is where it's uh-huh. about, to, about to begin. In November 1969, she was hanging out with friends in a record store in Brixton. Outside, a Nigerian diplomat named Clement Gumwalk was pulled over by police without any evidence of wrongdoing. Those sus laws were in full effect. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, saw him driving in the car and pulled him over. Yeah. Gumwalk began to protest his arrest because he was being arrested for nothing, nothing. at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the police became more forceful, more forceful and began to beat him. A crowd came and began to confront the police, shouting at them to stop before this confrontation also turned violent. It's unclear when Olive came out of the record store, but when she did, she was in the crowd putting herself between others that were being harmed and the police officers. Mm-hmm. Putting herself in front of the police officers made her a target for violence. And she says, quote, each time I tried to talk or raise my head, I was slapped in the face. She was taken into prison and forced to strip and threatened with rape in police custody. Oh, my God. Um, And she said, quote, 
They all made me take off my jumper and my bra in front of them to show I was a girl. A male cop holding up a billy club said, Now prove you're a real woman. Referencing his billy club, he stated, Look, it's the right color and the right size. <gasps> yeah. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> yeah. Bad. Ugh. It gets better. She's a really great woman okay (laughs) um she was released hours after her arrest where she was immediately taken to king's college hospital where pictures were taken of her swollen face and body her brother has stated that he could hardly recognize her face she was charged with assault on police threatening behavior and the possession of dangerous weapons which you know yeah um she was (laughs) bullshit (laughs) she was fined 10 pounds and then given a suspended sentence after this incident olive continued organizing because, like, fired up by this incident. Oh, yeah. And she went on to raise awareness of inequalities by traveling, writing, organizing protests, and setting up support groups. She became a member of the Black Panther movement Mm. in England, and later the Black Panther movement changed its name to the Black Workers Movement. And she was also a founding member of the Brixton's Black Women's Group. Oh, okay. She visited Germany in 1971 continuing to spread her message and in august 1972 olive had planned a visit to algeria where mm-hmm. the black pa- the u.s black panther leader was in exile okay but then she became her and her friend who had gone down there became stranded in morocco and never got the chance Uh-oh. to meet him oh no <laughs> Which, i, I mean if you're gonna be stranded somewhere in morocco maybe not that bad probably not i don't know what morocco was like at this time Fair. That's fair. There's, there's always that. Nowadays, <laughs> Nowadays, I would love to be stranded in Morocco. Please, someone stranded me in Morocco. <laughs> Go ahead and pay for that flight. <laughs> in 1972, when she was back in England after being stranded in Morocco, Olive organized a demonstration demanding safer heating in public housing after two black children living in public housing had died in a fire that was started when their heaters were knocked over. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Police were called, but Olive being a smart cookie, told the children at the rally Mm -hmm. to go into the government office while the adults at the demonstration dispersed. Mm -hmm. She knew the police wouldn't arrest the children. Yeah. And after a few minutes, the head of the housing department came outside and agreed to look into the matter. And then central heating was soon installed in (gasps) a number of public housing. Oh, um, wow. Oh, that's really cute. (laughs) I love that she's like, look, guys, they'll listen to you. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Go go tell them your story. We'll we'll be out here. And also like how great are those kids? Yeah. And like it's always unfortunate with children who are facing oppression mm-hmm. have to grow up so quickly. Yeah. And have to fight for themselves when yeah. they are for their lives. Yeah, Literally exactly. Their lives. <laughs> but like how great of them to go in there and then that uh-huh. becoming a thing. Yeah. And again, to bring it to modern days because things still aren't great. Public housing should have a lot more safety measures taken into account because if we think specifically in England, Grenfell Towers uh, Mm -hmm. last year was caused by people not putting as much safety concerns into public housing because the people who occupy public housing are more more vulnerable and less powerful to confront those types Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. indiscretions. I don't know words this morning. That's I think my coffee still half works. <laughs> Coffee's still half full and it has ice in it, so I can't drink it on the mic. <laughs> yeah, I tried and then got yelled at for all the clinking. <laughs> Danny keeps us on a tight leash. No ice oh, in our beverages. God. 
but it's so good and cold. In 1973, Olive became a squatter at 121 Railton Road in Brixton with several other activists. Occupying empty or abandoned buildings is not a crime. Rather, you know, squatters' rights. Yeah. If you stay in buildings long enough, you eventually can claim the rights to the building. Mm. At the time, thousands of people were on waiting lists for housing and were in poor living conditions, and by squatting, Morris and the others called attention to the fact that properties remained vacant, even as people were homeless. So, to bring attention to, like, empty buildings. Yeah. I mean... Look, look at this big empty building where you could put people to live, Mm -hmm. but instead, let's just let it crumble? Like, that doesn't make any sense, exactly. One-to-one Railton Road, one of the places they were squatting, became the organizing center for community groups such as Black People Against State Harassment, or BASH. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Great acronym or initialism or Mm -hmm. whatever. I'm sure Zeth will tell me when he listens to this. (laughs) It's always on my back about that. (laughs) Um, Nerd. (laughs) And Railton Railton Road also became a housing spot for... Sabar Bookshop, which was one of the first black community bookshops. Oh, wow. In 1975, she briefly moved to Manchester and began studying for a degree in economics and social sciences. On campus, she became a member of the National Coordinating Committee of Overseas Students, which was a group that campaigned for the abolition of fees for overseas students, which like... Oh, interesting. Hell yeah. I mean, I wish. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Student debt. It's a real fucking problem. <laughs> right. Those two years in London were not kind to me. <laughs> no, I bet not. <laughs> Off campus in Manchester, she was involved in the work of the Manchester Black Women's Cooperative and Black Women's Mutual Aid Group. So she kept herself busy. Yeah. In 1976, she traveled to Italy and Northern Ireland, still spreading her message. And in 1977, she traveled to China, where she wrote the essay, A Sister's Visit to China, which explored the role of China in anti-imperialist struggles. And it was published, her essay was published in Speak Out, the Brixton Black Women's Group newsletter. Nice. In 1978, Olive became one of the founding members of the Organization of Women of African and Asian Descent, OWAD. Not as good as Bash, but still still fun. Olive graduated from Manchester and... Just open the door and stand behind it. Itchy. Okay. Get out. This is my nightmare. (laughs) She's out. Okay. All right, everyone. I'm going to explain what just happened here. There was... Danny edited some things out, but I'm going to give you the lowdown. Kiana is afraid of my little tabby cat. All cats. All cats. But specifically, specifically Itchy. So, Kiana is telling her story. I'm listening to Kiana. Danny picks up her phone to look at it. And then the meow that you just heard, the very fucking loud one, 
came from just just to the left of Keeks. So I looked down, saw Iggy's little cat face, and my brain went, "Uh oh, (laughs) this is going to be bad. (laughs) So Kiana paused, thinking that Danny, I don't know, made the noise from her phone. Because she just picked up her phone and yes. was looking at it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, she's accidentally playing a video and doesn't realize with her headphones on mm-hmm. that it's out That it's loud. making noise. So then Iggy meowed again, a little quieter this time. <laughs> and Danny looks around. We both, everybody has seen the cat at this point. Not me. Oh, yeah. I- That's right. And I said, oh, <laughs> we need to let Iggy out. And then Kiana looked down at Iggy, screamed. Iju flew back under the futon. Kiana jumped up on her feet up against the wall. And then <laughs> chaos ensued. And I said, Keeks, you got to open the door so the cat can get out. And then we had to try to coax the cat out from under the futon. Danny had to pee. Another we- cat walked in. <laughs> Nugget is on the other side of the door going, what's going on in here, guys? I heard some noise. I'm stuck behind the door. I don't know where I'm going. I haven't seen... I didn't see Iggy at all. That was another half of why I was so scared. Yeah. Because I didn't know where she was coming from. (laughs) As soon as you got here, I'm sure she came in here and hid because she doesn't like you. But... We're scared of each other. (laughs) You really are. are Because she meowed, you screamed, and you both went the opposite direction. It was like a cartoon. But we coaxed the cat out. I went and got a glass of water. She got some water. Danny went and peed because she almost did it in her pants because she was laughing so hard. If I was wearing my Fitbit, it would say I was in fat burning zone because my heart's beating so fast. All the while, I'm sitting here comfy cozy on my fucking... Love sack, just like watching this chaos ensue. These two are jumping up and running out of the room, and I'm just like, okay, this is my Saturday morning. <laughs> I'm so sorry I screamed. Was that right into the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't like a. It was like I don't know. It was like a like a little girl's like. <laughs> It was it, like no murderers here, just a cat with whiskers. I was so scared. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> oh, this is our life. She was so close to you too. Oh my! If I would have, if I would have saw her, that would have been different. I probably it would have been like I jumped back, hit my head, and now I'm passed out. <laughs> I'm concussed. Give Maybe just a break. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, that was an exciting moment, everyone. Yeah. All right. Back to this story. Right. right jumping right back in. Jumping like right back in happened. to the saddest part. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay. So. Bringing it way, way down. I'm like trying to bring my heart back to the normal level. I bet. Olive graduated. <laughs> And returned to Brixton, working in the juvenile department of the Brixton Community Law Center, where she was involved in the campaign to scrap the sus laws. So mm. the stop and frisk laws. Nice. And I think the slogan was just scrap sus, which oh. also sus 
is short for suspect. That makes sense. Yeah. In the summer of 1978, she was bicycling in Spain when she felt sudden pain. She later discovered that this pain was caused by non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer. Oh. After she was diagnosed, she started undergoing treatment but died about a year later on July 12, 1979, at St. Thomas Hospital at the age of 27. Oh my god. Yeah. In a book called Heart of the Race, Black Women Lives in Britain, written by many of Olive's peers other activists at the time they stated that olive represents the kind of black women who over the years had thrown themselves into the struggle in this country and made an indelible if anonymous mark so Mm -hmm. she caused a lot of change yeah and unfortunately died very young and is largely forgotten Mm -hmm. which is really too bad but it's something there's um Oh, I forget what it's called. Oh, I think it, there's a movement called Do You Know Olive Morris? Mm-hmm. And it's basically just an organization that talks about the memory of Olive Morris and also inspires other people to join in the activist movement uh-huh. and um, organizing movements. In Olive's honor, there's also a Lambeth Council building named after her, but it's also set to be demolished soon. Which is too bad. And it's to make way for private housing. Fuck that. Which is super shitty. Uh, She has a community garden and a play area named after her. And she is one of the historical people featured on the Brixton Pound. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. That's a lovely story. Oh, that's so sad, though. She, so she died 27. Yeah. She was not, she was like a quarter, maybe, of the way into her life. Yeah. She would she, still be alive. She would still be alive. She, like, the things that she accomplished in her very short 27 years. Mm-hmm. Can you expound that by two or three? How much more she could have done? Yeah. Oh. Sorry, my throat's a little scratchy because I screamed. <laughs> she was, like, catapulted into this movement when she was 17. Yeah. And then died when she was 27. That's 10 years. And she made such huge strides like she made founded a lot of (laughs) she founded a lot of like organizations that some are still around today yeah that are still inspiring people Mm -hmm. and still organizing the community and fighting against injustice and i think it's really too bad that she's sort of been forgotten Mm -hmm. in history or not as celebrated as she should be she's not forgotten i will yeah and that one article called overlooked no more Uh uh-huh it's a series that the Times are doing that is taking people who they didn't write obituaries for, oh. who were overlooked in history just because of, you know, uh-huh. the time. So, like, in the 70s, Olive Morris being a black woman wouldn't be as celebrated yeah. by larger society than was us talking about her mm-hmm. today, you know, because we can really, in retrospect, admire what she did. Yeah. And I like that there are people out there who are not letting us forget her and her legacy. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. What a lovely story. Thanks. Way to go. I like that. Sorry. Olive Morris. Sorry I got cut off by cat scare. It's okay. These things happen. You, you can't control it. Oh, you know what I forgot? Hmm. That we didn't mention because we haven't recorded since then. Two weeks ago... 
when we had brunch with mm. Sulema, mm-hmm. we then went to Shibop, mm-hmm. the local female-friendly sex store, mm-hmm. which was a fun time. Mm-hmm. And then we all went and got Kiana's nose pierced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what oh. a fun time. We haven't recorded for... Oh, we we did that... The we re- Last time we recorded was, was the, the day, day before. That was right. That was the day before. Man, so much has happened, and we've just forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. How's your nose? Really good. Yeah? It doesn't hurt at all. It's cute. I like it. Thanks. <laughs> My parents called yesterday, and uh-huh. they were like, we haven't seen you in a while. And I was like, um, I want to wait for the nose piercing to heal a little bit more before <laughs> I go see them, because I know they're going to poke at it. Yeah. Because I got a new tattoo once, and they scratched at it. Oh. And you're not supposed to do that with a new tattoo. First of all, it hurts, hurt. and it yes. ruins it. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So I have to wait for my nose to he get is. a little more established <laughs> in my face. And then I'll go over there so that I won't be hurt. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a good plan. Yeah. I like it, though. It's very cute. Thanks. Anyway, I completely... It matches completely, my mic. It does! <laughs> I'm going to take a close-up when we're done. <laughs> You'll the- see all the blackheads on my nose. Cute. Ooh, fashion. <laughs> you know what? Pores are a thing. Let's not believe that the world is airbrushed, shall we? That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Who are you covering this week? This week, I am kicking off Black History Month with Audrey Lord. <gasps> oh! Mm-hmm. So that's a big one. That's a big. <laughs> you're telling me. <laughs> Let me tell you. I got my information from lots of books, lots mm-hmm. of her books, but also biography.com. I used some Wikipedia. I used an article from New York Times and her obituary. Just a Google, and it was like the top, I don't know, 15 <laughs> Google searches. I just click them and start reading them. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a lot. This is why I started my homework last night at, what, eight? Three and a half hours? I was like, yeah. oh boy, how do I condense this? But got a lot of a lot of good information. So I would like to start with a quote, just that I liked a lot. I am not free while any woman is unfree, even when her shackles are very different from my own. Because she's a fucking poet. <laughs> Like, through and through. Yeah. And I just... Eloquent. Very eloquent. All right. Audrey Geraldine Lord was born in New York City on February 18th, 1934. So that makes her a Pisces. When does this come out? Oh, this comes out uh, February 6th, I think. So in a couple weeks, it'll be her birthday. Yeah. Is that right? The 6th? No, fifth. Fifth. But in a couple weeks it will be. Uh, yeah. I was saying exactly. yes to the second part. <clears throat> yeah. So her father, Byron, was from Barbados. And her mother, Linda, was Grenadian. Mm. And so from like the West Indies, the islands in the West Indies. They were married and settled in Harlem. Born with terrible eyesight, um, almost to the point of being legally blind, Audrey was the youngest of three daughters. The girls grew up listening to their mother's stories of the West Indies. At the age of four, she learned to talk while she learned to read. And her mother taught her how to write 
all around the same time. She's a late bloomer as mm-hmm. far as like actually verbalizing things, which I thought was interesting mm. because she has a fucking way with words. Yeah. As a child, Audrey struggled with communication and would often memorize and recite poems to express her feelings. Oh, which I thought was really sweet. Adorable. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Audrey had a very difficult relationship with her parents, and because they were both, like, working parents trying to maintain, like, a family business through the Great Depression, she spent very little time with them. They were often kind of cold and distant, and Audrey's mother was particularly keen on, like, very strict family rules and, quote, like, tough love. Mm Mm-hmm. So, just parenting for that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but this tumultuous relationship would become a frequent subject in her poetry later in her life. She attended Hunter College High School, which was a secondary school for intellectually gifted students in Manhattan, and she graduated from there in 1951. She published her first poem in Seventeen magazine. Oh. oh, yeah. After her school's literary journal rejected it for being inappropriate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She's like, all right, well, I'm moving on to bigger and better things. <laughs> right. Thanks. If you're going to ignore me, I'm going to the top. Exactly. 17 Magazine. In 1954... Audrey spent a pivotal year as a student at the National University of Mexico, a period she described as a time of affirmation and renewal and kind of self-realization in her identity as a lesbian and a poet. After she was at the University of Mexico, she returned to New York. Audrey enrolled at Hunter College and worked as a librarian She continued writing and became an active participant in the gay culture of Greenwich Village, which seems like a good fucking time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Audrey graduated from Hunter College in 1959 and continued her education at Columbia University, earning a master's degree in library science in 1961. So in 1962, this surprised the shit out of me. I knew that Audre Lorde had children mm-hmm. because she has she has poems about it. Yeah. And I was like, that seems like a hard thing to write about if you haven't you don't if, have if you haven't kids. gone through that experience, right? Yeah. So in nineteen sixty two, Audrey actually married a man who was an attorney named Edwin Rollins. He was a mm. white gay man. Mm. And they were married for like eight years. And during that time, they had their two children, Elizabeth and Jonathan. Hmm. And I was just like, what? The... It did. It, it. Yeah. Yeah. It just was really interesting to me. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like pressure from the time, right? Like, you know, you I had to get married and then they were close enough. To... I can't. I couldn't really find an answer to it. I don't know if it was like, I'm sure, I'm sure it was a, a combination of things like the pressure of being in the sixties and like nuclear families. And this is what you do. Mm-hmm. But also she married a white man, mm-hmm. which would be, uh, you know, during that time. <laughs> yeah. Pretty 
ballsy mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better word but i'm gonna also, do this i'm gonna do this nuclear family thing that you guys talk about <laughs> but i'm gonna make it just a little spicier exactly <laughs> nuclear f- nuclear family but make it fashion <laughs> <laughs> because at this point she she already self-identifies as a lesbian mm-hmm. he is a gay man mm-hmm. and i think um, maybe to a certain extent they were like should we try this out yeah. like i don't know Either way, I love it. It's beautiful. Hmm. Audra's poetry was published very regularly throughout the 1960s. And when she wasn't writing, she was involved in the civil rights movement, in anti-war protests, and marches for feminism, like during second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. In 1968, Audrey was the writer-in-residence at, I think you pronounce it, Tugaloo? Mm-hmm. Which is a fun word to say. Yeah. And at- you shouldn't ask me ever. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> at Tugaloo College in Mississippi. During this time, she met a woman named Frances Clayton, who is a white lesbian professor of psychology, who would be her romantic partner for over 20 years. She led workshops with her young black undergraduate students, many of whom were eager to discuss the civil rights issues of the time. While in Mississippi, she published her first volume of poems called The First Cities, and her second volume, Cables to Rage, was published in 1970, addressed themes of love, betrayal, childbirth, and the complexities of raising children. It is particularly noteworthy that in Cables of Rage, there's a poem called Martha, and that's the first poem in which Audrey, like, openly confirms that she is a lesbian like for the first time in her writing Mm -hmm. and there's a quote in martha that says we shall love each other here if ever at all i thought that was lovely it's a really beautiful poem her book from a land where other people live was nominated for the national book award for poetry in 1973 It shows Audrey's personal struggles with identity and anger at social injustice. Uh, The collection of poems deals with anger, loneliness, as well as like what it means to be a black woman, Mm -hmm. to be a black woman who is a mother, Mm -hmm. etc. And then after that, the release of her book, New York Head Shop and Museum, painted this kind of, I don't know, dark picture of new york like through Mm -hmm. her eyes and how she grew up in both like in the context of like the civil rights movement but also her own poverty stricken Mm -hmm. neglected childhood and the struggles that came with that Mm -hmm. despite the success of her previous works it was the release of coal in 1976 that established Audrey as an influential voice in the black arts movement and helped introduce her to a wider audience. The book includes some poems from her first two volumes, and it unites many of the themes she would become known for throughout her career. Her rage at social injustice, her celebration of her black identity, and her call for an intersectional consideration of women's experiences. After that, she went on to publish Between Ourselves, Hanging Fire, and The Black Unicorn over the next two years. The Black Unicorn, this is just my own mm-hmm. thoughts. So, The Black Unicorn is 
how did I read the description of this? It's like a breakdown of almost like African mythology. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot in it about being like a warrior. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it's fucking magical. It's a really, really cool book. Yeah. So if you want one that's, if you've never listened to or read any of her poetry, The Black Unicorn is some like, wild mystical shit Mm -hmm. i like it a lot during her time writing poetry audrey also taught uh she spent some time as a professor in the education department at layman college then a as a professor of english at the john jay college of criminal justice where she fought for the creation of a black studies department and eventually made her way back to hunter college And taught in the English department there. In 1977, Audrey became an associate of the Women's Institute for Freedom of the Press, which is an organization that works to increase communication between women and connect... Connect. (laughs) That's a hockey team. Am I Canadian? (laughs) (laughs) And connect the public with different forms of women-based media. Which I love. It's great. Yes. Okay. So, it's 1978. She At this point, she had put out like 10 books. She's been all over the place. She prolific. Lived in, she, very prolific. She lived in Germany and taught in Germany and started this whole like Afro-German movement, mm. which I didn't touch on a whole lot, but that was a whole thing. And she was, she's just all over the place. Unfortunately, in 1978, Audrey was diagnosed with breast cancer and she underwent a mastectomy. After her first diagnosis, she wrote the cancer journals, mm. which was her first, her first steps into like nonfiction writing and prose Mm -hmm. and that included a bunch of essays and journal entries that explored and reflected on her diagnosis treatment and recovery from breast cancer i haven't read that one because it will make me cry yeah yeah in it audrey deals with the like western notions western ideas of illness disability treatment cancer and sexuality and physical beauty with prosthesis yeah okay as well as themes of death fear of mortality survival emotional healing and inner power over the next decade audrey went on to write an autobiography which is called zami Mm -hmm. z-a-m-i zami a new spelling of my name and she her so her name audrey she spells it Mm a-u-d-r-e and dropped the y which was originally at the end of Audrey. Mm-hmm. And in that book, she explains, it's her autobiography. And so she was like, I'm going to be a writer. The Y looks weird because I <laughs> wanted to, to have both my names, five letters with just an E on the end. Yeah. So it was very aesthetic for her. Um, but <laughs> that, that Zami, a different spelling of my name, is her autobiography. I do agree that Ys look weird. Right? Uh, yeah. But it's also, the worst letter in my name. It's the most confusing letter in your name for sure. Yeah. Because people go ki ki ki. Yeah. And then I have whole spell thoughts about that. <laughs> B. 
because for a while Ken. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about that Ken because he knew for a while I was like KYE fine. My dad's first language is not English. Sure. Whatever. He doesn't mm-hmm. understand how the Y works. That's on him, but now it's on me. And then I was like, hang on a goddamn second. <laughs> His eldest child is named Kyla. Mm-hmm. K-Y. He knows that makes a Kai sound. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was doing to me. Mm-hmm. That bastard. And now we have <laughs> Kaina. Now we have Kaina. <laughs> My favorite is um uh, last name Henry on all every, every day. Because teachers were like, I'm not going to butcher her name. But I'm just going to say the last name. That's hysterical. That's why I have no respect for names. That's why I can't pronounce anybody's <laughs> name right. Where was I? I didn't know that about her name. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So she wrote her autobiography and several other poetry collections. She also made numerous contributions to women's organizations across the globe. She was also, I'll get to that in a moment, her, the things that she jumped into. But (laughs) I put this in here. She was also the New York State Poet Laureate. Mm. Yeah. And when designating her with this honor, the governor then, who was Mario Cuomo, said of Audrey, quote, her imagination is charged by a sharp sense of racial injustice and cruelty of sexual prejudice. She cries out against it as the voice of indignant humanity. Audrey Lord is the voice of the eloquent outsider who speaks in a language that can reach and touch people everywhere. And I was like, oh, look at you, Mario Cuomo, who wrote that for you? <laughs> it wasn't him. No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a, he didn't even know who she was. <laughs> that dickhead. Yeah. I think he's a bad guy. Yeah. yeah. He most likely is. He's Andrew guy. Cuomo's dad. Yeah, I did find that out. Audrey lived with her life partner, who's a black feminist named Dr. Gloria I. Joseph. And they met after she so she was in a romantic relationship with Francis Clayton Mm -hmm. until the late 80s. And then I'm not sure how that relationship ended, but I know they were friends for the rest of uh, for the rest of Audrey's life. Anyway, my, so, <laughs> sorry, my coworker Sophia uh-huh. is a lesbian, and yeah. she just separated from her wife. Okay, and they still live together. And she was talking. She's so funny, but she was talking to me about it. She's like, lesbians can be friends after breakups, not like straight people. <laughs> we can be fine with each other. Yeah. It's completely normal. <laughs> unprompted i might <laughs> i was like la- i'm this is a learning moment i'm gonna teach kiana a little something <laughs> right <laughs> i was just like okay i was eating my lunch <laughs> you're like thank you <laughs> thank you for the wisdom glad i found that out it's true but not like- always i can i am i, I t- can tell you what that's not always the case but it can happen yeah i didn't I knew you would say that. (laughs) (laughs) So in my mind, I thought of you, but I was like, I'm not going to correct her. I'm not going (laughs) to heterosplain (laughs) lesbian relationship. I love that heterosplain. Boy, if I had a nickel for every time that happened in my life. Shit. I'd be 
funding this podcast with pocket change. <laughs> All right. Where am I? Okay. So Audrey is living with her life partner, Gloria I. Joseph, in St. Croix. Is that how you say that? Yeah. Croix? Okay. That's in the U.S. Virgin Islands, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's one that I do know. Yeah. But then I was like, she's asking me. <laughs> I always, <laughs> because I say be. the Croix, I was like, it's not St. Croix. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no. We Americanized it and said St. Croix. Yep. Okay. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's living in St. Croix and was diagnosed with liver cancer. In uh-huh. 1984. So she overcame breast cancer and went through all of that mm-hmm. just for her liver to go kaput. Mm-hmm. Together, they were founders. Oh, this is where I get to the things that she helped organize. Together, they were founders of the Women's Coalition of St. Croix, which is an organization dedicated to assisting women who have survived sexual abuse and intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. Um, They also helped establish sisterhood in support of sisters in South Africa, and that is to help benefit black women who were affected by apartheid and other forms of injustice. Apartheid? That's what I meant. Yes. (laughs) I said, I was like, I'm saying this wrong. Apartheid. Thank you. Okay. No problem. Now neither of us can. You said it with such confidence that I thought I I was wrong. I just really went in with it. It's apartheid. Apartheid. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Google it. They also helped create the Che Lumumba School for Truth, Mm. which, let me tell you, has some mixed feelings. People don't really think it's great. Oh. Because Che, as in Che Guevara, Mm -hmm. and Lumumba, don't know who that is. But (laughs) it's it's a school that is all about, like, political activism, but it's like partnering parents with their children in like this cooperative education is I was like, this is really interesting. I couldn't find out a lot of information about it Hmm. anyway. And also this one, I was like, they created the doc lock apiary. Do you know what an apiary is? No, it's honey production. Oh, so they created (laughs) this. It's a local honey production and educational outreach. In St. Croix for the honeybees. And I was like, well, that's the sweetest shit I've ever heard. Sweet like honey. Mm -hmm. Watermelon sugar. Is that... Can I make that joke? I mean, you can. (laughs) I quit. I'm trying trying to connect with you people and you're not letting it work. You think you could just mention when Harry Styles sing and connect to us? Yes. Don't be suspicious. (laughs) I can't. Oh, boy. All right. We're going to get real bummer here. Audrey died of liver cancer at the age of 58 on November 17th, 1992. In an African naming ceremony that took place before her death, she took the name Gamba Adisa, which means warrior, she who makes her meaning known. I thought I was like, it's really, (laughs) it's really lovely. The Audrey Lord Project, founded in 1994, is a Brooklyn-based organization for LGBTQ people of color. It concentrates on progressive issues within New York City, especially relating to the LGBTQ community, AIDS and HIV activism, 
pro-immigrant activism, prison reform, and organizing among youth of color. There's also the Callan Lord Community Health Center, which was an organization established in her name in New York dedicated to providing um, health care to the city's LGBTQ population without regard for the ability to pay. And it's the only primary care center in New York City created specifically to serve that community. No, oh, that's really... What the, year was that? That was in... Oh, I don't know. I think it was in like 2004. Okay. The Audrey Lord Award is an annual literary award to honor works of lesbian poetry. And in 2014, Lord was inducted into the Legacy Walk, which is this big outdoor public display in Chicago that celebrates LGBTQ people and history. Mm-hmm. I would really love to go to that. That, that was cool. like Chicago's on the list. Yeah. Next time we're we're there. For oh, this was really lovely, and I remember I remember this for their first match of 2019, the women of the United States women's national soccer team mm-hmm. each wore a jersey with the name of a woman they were honoring on the back, Aww. and Megan Rapinoe chose the name Lord, oh, which I liked, and this is the last one, in June of 2019, so six months ago, her home in Staten Island was given landmark designation. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, because June is Pride Month, Audrey was one of the inaugural 50 American Pioneers, Trailblazers, and Heroes inducted on the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor within the Stonewall National Monument in New York City Stonewall Inn. And just fun fact, the Stonewall National Monument is the first U.S. national monument dedicated to LGBTQ rights and history, and the wall's unveiling was timed to take place during the 50th anniversary. Hmm. And that is... That is a fun fact. (laughs) That is. And I just, I had one more... It's just, it's a poem. It's very short, but I was like, ooh, that's good. (laughs) Okay. So it's called Power. Mm-hmm. And it says, woman power is, black power is, human power is always feeling. My heart beats as my eyes open, as my hands move, as my mouth speaks. I am, are you ready? Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. That's all I got. That was good. That was a lot of research. She's incredible. Yeah. I know... From what I know about Audre Lorde, obviously it's just a name that's like a huge name in the mm-hmm. civil rights movement. And I know a lot of her quotes. Mm-hmm. Didn't know a lot about her life. And it was actually, going to admit it, I didn't know she was queer. Yeah. And that's, she's great. One of the things that I read was that when she was, when she was growing up before, I think before she went to college, like in high school, everyone was like fucking watch out for this one she's gonna do big things Mm -hmm. right and so she would go and do these writing workshops and stuff and she was always she was like i don't really fit in i'm like i'm i'm on the outside because i'm crazy and queer and they don't know what to do with me (laughs) i was like yes queen (laughs) yeah she's incredible Look, I can't write poetry. 
Mm-hmm. It's not, I've never really been able to wrap my brain around it. Yeah. Right? It's it's just this ambiguous thing to me. But the sheer number of poems and essays and things that she has written, I'm just blown away by. Mm-hmm. The, like, relationship that she has with, like, language. Yeah. I'm blown away by. I'm like, I don't even, I got nothing. <laughs> Poetry is really hard because mm-hmm. I just don't feel like I don't feel like it's a lot of the way that people go to to think. Yes. But like Audre Lorde and many other poets, mm-hmm. when they get it right, it's so it's like so succinct and resonating. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Audrey had 10,000 billion million. So many. <laughs> so many. That were just always so powerful. Mm-hmm. And like. The quotes that you read of hers that you just take like out of context Mm -hmm. of the whole poem, Mm -hmm. that one line is still so powerful. Yeah. And then to fit all of them together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Poetry is wild. I'm telling you, when I was like, I was like, I need something. This is a long, this is a lot of information. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even, I was like, I could, she had so much to say about feminism, about womanism, about you know her identity as a black woman mm-hmm. and a mother and a and a queer person like mm-hmm. i got nothing just um, harnessing her life experiences yeah. and putting them down into words yeah wow 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 is right like <laughs> big letters wow period like i can't <laughs> that's a poem <laughs> <sighs> what a good episode i am quite pleased with that mm-hmm Mm-hmm. What a way to kick off the month. Indeed. Well. Two very powerful women and activists. That's right. That's right. That's all we got. Mm-hmm. So if you like us, mm-hmm. which you should, because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're pretty okay. I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, please check out our social medias. Uh, Wait, hold on. What? That's not a good transition if you like us please rate review and subscribe i'm sorry i did it wrong didn't i (laughs) yeah okay do what kiana said rate review and subscribe give us them five stars Mm because we are worth it yes (laughs) and then follow us on all of our social media all right (laughs) on twitter we're at broads got moxie and on facebook and instagram we are on at that broads got moxie there you go and then if you feel so compelled to reach out, tell us some stories, give us some feedback, some ideas, whatever. Just say hi. You can email us at thatbroadsgotmoxie at gmail.com. Yes. And that's it. That's, that's all, all we got. Goodbye. Bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.